Well, there's a story uh, that I've heard multiple times, and so I'm assuming you've heard it, and it's about a pig and a chicken. Uh, And the pig and the chicken were walking down the road one day, who knows why, but they were walking down the road, and they uh, came across a church that was holding a uh, potluck fundraiser breakfast. Uh, And the pig, uh, getting caught up in the the moment, whatever they were fundraising, it was something good, uh, and the pig turns to the chicken and says, hey, we should make a contribution to it. Uh, And the chicken thought about that for a moment and said, you know what, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't we give them some some ham and eggs? Uh, To which the pig said, hey, wait a minute. For you, that's a contribution, but for me, that is a total commitment. Well, today we want to talk a little bit about total commitment uh, because I think uh, totally committing to something uh, is not always easy. Uh, totally committing to something, uh, it, it's, it's a huge thing. It takes a lot of time and money and effort. All right? it, it's a lot easier to just be casually committed to something, is it not? Uh, when we think about uh, sports teams, I, I think that is the easiest way to see this. Uh, when we, it is a lot easier to be a casual fan of a sports team. Uh, you don't have to watch every game. All you have to do is maybe once a week check ESPN or, or listen to the radio, and, and you can kind of get a sense of what your team is doing, and, and you may not actually be committed to the team if they're doing horrible. All right, And, and we see that with the Royals, right? No one was really committed until the last two years with the Royals. All right, But being a totally committed fan, it takes a lot. You know, there are a lot of committed fans, even in this church, to the St. Louis Cardinals, and they will uh, listen or watch every single game. Do you know how many games there are in a baseball season? 162. That's a lot of games to watch or listen or even go to. You know, if you go to those games, that's expensive. You have to drive there, you have to buy a ticket, which aren't cheap, and you have to come back and you have to eat somewhere along that way because otherwise you're fasting for like six hours, seven hours, eight hours, depending on how long the game goes. All right? and, and, and so it takes a lot of time and effort. Uh, this last year I uh, was blessed to be able to uh, win season tickets to Sporting Kansas City. Uh, If you've never heard who Sporting Kansas City are, they're the uh, professional soccer team over in Kansas City, uh, Kansas side, Kansas City, Kansas, okay? Uh, And and somehow I won season tickets, and I was excited because I like soccer, and I like watching those games, and I was like, yes, I get to go to a lot of games this year. But about halfway through the year, I realized, man, this takes up a lot of time. You know, it takes about three hours one way to get there. And then three hours back, and uh, the two hours or three hours you're at the game itself. And when it was all said and done, you know, I was spending 10 hours every game day. And that takes up a lot of time. You know, so to be totally committed to something takes up a lot of time. You know, football is not much better. You know, football lasts even longer than soccer. And so uh, that, that's the easy way. Sports is an easy way to see that it can take up time to be a totally committed fan. But I think uh, if we look at ourselves, we can, sometimes can see that we're totally committed to something. 
You know, for some of us, maybe it's not sports. Maybe, uh, maybe it's video games. Probably not in this crowd, right? Maybe it's video games, you know, and we're totally committed and playing video games even right now. Oh, he's, he's doing something. He's, he's distracted. He doesn't even know what I'm talking about him. All right, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't actually know if he's playing, I'm, and it's okay if he is. All right, uh, so, so maybe it's video games, and that takes up a lot of times. There's a lot of people who buy all of these games and play it and are totally committed to it and get nothing back for their money because video games depreciate in value ridiculously. All right, uh, maybe it's not video games for you. Maybe it's hunting. You know, and, and you are spending a lot of time out uh, in the stand or you have to go buy guns or an ammo and, and that can be expensive. But you at least get food back with that. Right. Uh, maybe maybe for you, it's a TV show. Maybe you are dedicated that on Wednesday night at 5 p.m. My TV show is on or whatever it is. Maybe it's not TV. Maybe it's books. And every time author so-and-so brings out a new book, you got that book and you're reading it and you're dedicating to it. You know, some of us, something in our lives, we are totally dedicated to, totally committed. Uh, and so we want to talk about that today. We're in our series that we've entitled Jesus Uncensored. Uh, basically what we're looking at are these truths uh, that Jesus said that I think if we say we believe, it should radically change how we live. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we started this series. We talked about when Jesus said the gates of Hades will never overcome the church. Uh, and and, and uh, I think a lot of us, we live in fear of how the society is changing and how it's changing negatively towards Christians. And we li- allow that fear to affect how we live our lives. And, and if we truly believe that the gates of Hades will not overcome the church, we should not live in fear, but in love. And we should be going out and telling people and sharing that love with others. Uh, Last week we talked about where Jesus says, I am the way and no one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, And and this is the obligation as Christians, if we truly believe that, to tell other people because if there's no way they're getting to heaven except through Jesus, they need to know who Jesus is. And so that's that should radically change how we live Uh, today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there. Uh, We're going to be in verse 34. Um, And you should be able to find a pew Bible in front of you like like uh, uh, our, our young child has already found. All right, so he's really paying attention, okay? Uh, and and uh, uh, we are going to allow verse 34 to kind of set our scene. Here's how what verse 34 says. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Uh, I kind of want to pause there. I know it's just one verse, but I think this kind of sets up our scene uh, for what is going on. This is, uh, in Matthew, a part of a larger section of stories that have started way back in chapter 21, midway through 21 of Matthew. Uh, And basically, uh, where we're at in the life of Jesus is called the Passion Week of Jesus. It's the last week uh, before his crucifixion. Uh, and, it's, and it's a very important week. In fact, the Gospels, uh, all four of them, record more information about this last week leading up to the events of his uh, crucifixion and resurrection than any other part of his ministry. All right, so he's had three and a half years of ministry. The vast majority is dedicated towards that last week of the Gospels. All right, and so uh, I just want to kind of walk through that last week leading up to this event. Uh, the week started off on a Sunday, uh, and it started off on what's called the triumphal entry. 
All right, most of us know that story. Jesus, he goes and gets onto a donkey, and he rides into Jerusalem from Bethany uh, into Jerusalem, and large crowds are gathering around from them. They've been, it's, it's the Passover week, and so Jews from all over Israel and Palestine are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate this great feast in their religion. Uh, and so as they're coming, many of them are traveling with Jesus, and they are celebrating the fact that Jesus is is coming to town and they're taking off their coats they're laying it onto the ground and the donkey's walking on it they've carried i mean they've been thinking about this okay they carry palm branches which the closest palm tree is like in by the jericho river which is like 20 miles away and so they've been carrying these palm branches for a couple of days just for this great thing and they're waving the palm branches and they're throwing them on the ground as well and it's a great celebration they're celebrating because they believe that jesus is is the Messiah. All right? they, they believe that. That's why they're celebrating. Their idea of Messiah is different than what Jesus was going to do. Their idea of Messiah was that Jesus was going to overthrow the Romans and he was going to establish a new kingdom. And that's why they're celebrating. All right? So that's on Sunday. Jesus walks into to town. He gets to the temple. He kind of surveys everything and then he leaves. All right? So kind of anticlimactical. All right, and, and so he goes back to where he's staying. He's staying in the town of Bethany, a couple miles east of the city, uh, and he, he has his great crowd and then leaves. All right, and, and so the next day on Monday, he comes back into town, uh, not with all the fanfare, uh, but he comes into the temple that he's surveyed the day before, and he begins to clear out the temple. All right, this is the second time in his ministry that he does this. They didn't understand it the first time, so he does it again. And he's tear, tear, tearing over the tables. Uh, I, I don't think this one is the one where he whips them, but he, he drives out the moneylenders, uh, and he's basically, uh, by his own power, controlling what is happening in the temple. And again, this is met with fanfare. There's a lot of kids that are going around praising God because Jesus is doing this. And it also makes the religious leaders very mad. I mean, they're the ones that have allowed this. They're the ones that are profiting off of this. And so when Jesus kind of just shuts down their business, they get upset and they decide to find ways to, to uh, uh, get at Jesus. And so we enter into Tuesday. Uh, the, the, Fer the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're angry with Jesus. And that's where we start in Matthew, the middle of Matthew 21 and, and pretty much go through uh, probably about... Uh, Matthew 26. So it's a long section dedicated to one day of his ministry in Matthew. And in this section, we see uh, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're going to ask Jesus a bunch of questions. All right? and, and there's a couple of things with this. The first thing is we have to notice that they are working together, which doesn't happen very often in their history. I think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees like the Republicans and the Democrats. I have one person thinks it's a great idea. The other group of people thinks it's a horrible idea and vice versa. And so that's kind of how they operate. The Pharisees had their views. The, the, the Sadducees had theirs. And not very often were they in complete agreement with each other. All right, so, but they're in complete agreement. They want Jesus out of the picture. And so they're asking him questions that are unanswerable questions. Right, one of the questions that they ask, for example, is, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? 
All right, and the reason why they ask this question is because if Jesus says no, then he's a revolutionary, and they can go to the Romans and say, hey, he's saying that they shouldn't pay taxes, which is the same thing as treason, and the Romans would come in and kill Jesus, and they would get rid of Jesus. Yay for them, right? Now, that's if he says no. If he says yes, all these people that are following Jesus, they're going to realize, hey, he, he sympathizes with Rome. He's not the Messiah, and they're going to stop following him. And so they're asking him a question that, depending on what he answers, it's going to go bad for Jesus. And so what does Jesus do? He answers it in a way that is neither, you know, I mean, he says you need to pay to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God. So he answers in such a way that they're baffled. They're like, that wasn't what we were expecting. How, how did you do that? And they're asking question after question. They're shooting a bunch of them at him. And finally, the Sadducees come in. And they ask their question. And Jesus answers it in such a way that, that there's silence. And that's where we get to here in verse 34. He's answered all their questions. They can't call him a heretic and they don't know what to do. And so these Pharisees are getting together, and they're scratching their heads like, what do we do now? And finally, there's this Pharisee that's going to stand up in verse 35, and he's going to ask a question. And it says this in Matthew. It says, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, uh, Mark also writes about this, and in Mark's, he gives us a little bit more information in Mark, we read that uh, this person, he's asking the question out of honest curiosity. All right? He's not asking it like the other Pharisees or the other Sadducees. He's not trying to trick Jesus. He wants an honest answer. Teacher, how, what's the greatest law? And it's an honest question because uh, we see that the ranks are starting to break and, and the Pharisees, there's some that are starting to realize, hey, maybe this is who he, he says he is. And they're asking this question, and this is a question that most rabbis of that day debated on. And so it's an honest question. The rabbis debated because somebody at some point in time had counted up all the commands that are found in the first five books of the Bible, and they came up with 615 different commands that Moses gave Israel that the Israelites were supposed to follow. That's a lot of commands. How many of you have ever tried to bake something that has 615 different steps to do it? I mean, how crazy would that be? Right, or, or tried playing a card game that had 615 different rules that you had to remember at all times in order to play. I mean, it's insane to think about. All right, but they, the, the, these rabbis, they had come up with these 615 distinctly different things that the Jews were supposed to do on a regular basis. And so it got to the point where they're like, you know what, that's impossible. And so they, they, they basically said, the rabbis decided to make a tier system. All right, which rules are more important than the others? And that was their question. Which one is more important? This one is over here or this one over here? And every rabbi said something different. All right, and, and they did this because if you were following this, this great commandment, it didn't matter if you broke some of these lesser commandments. That's basically what they were getting at. And so this guy, he's asking Jesus, Jesus, what do you teach? What is the greatest in your opinion? And so Jesus answers it. Uh, this is one of the few questions in the entire day that he answers directly. Okay, we've got to keep that in mind. That's why this is probably a different type of question. All right, Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your hearts, 
with all your soul, and with all your mind. And in verse 38, he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. All right, so Jesus replies here. Uh, he replies with Deuteronomy 6. He replies with what's called the Shema. All right, and the reason why it's called Shema is because in the Hebrew, Shema means here. And in Deuteronomy 6, this, this starts off with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The Shema. Right, this is something that uh, devout Jews to this day will repeat three times a day. It's something that when they open up their synagogue services, they open it up with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It's a very, at the very heart the commitments of the Jews and their religion. And this is Jesus' answer. This is what you're supposed to do. This is the greatest of all commandments. And he says this is the first and greatest, not in the sense that this is the first commandment God ever gave, but rather in the uh, order of importance, this is the most important one. And we can take this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. We can separate it if we want to. You know, when Jesus says love with all your heart, he's talking about your emotional being. He's talking about your will. All right? And he's saying you are to love God with all of your, your emotions. Are all of all power and faculty that you have. When he's talking about your soul, we have to give way to the Hebrew understanding of soul. And the Hebrew word is nefesh, and it literally means life. And so when, there's, when Moses is saying, when Jesus is repeating Moses and saying, love the Lord your God with all your soul, he's saying, oh, everything that you are, your life, be willing to even lay down your life for your God if he commands it. When he's talking about mind, you're talking about your intellect. And everything that you learn and do and think, that is supposed to be dedicated to God. And so we can divide them, but essentially together what Moses is saying and what Jesus is repeating is that we are to love God with everything that we are in every aspect of who we are. And for some of us, we don't necessarily do that. Now, some of us, we, we are willing to dedicate our lives to God except for something. And you can fill that blank in for you. For some of you, it's your checkbook. God, you can have every aspect of me but my money. For, for some of us, you know, it, it's our work. You know, and God, you can have every aspect of who I am, but when I go to work, I'm my own man. And we live lives that are far different at work than we live everywhere else or even on Sunday morning. For some of us, maybe it's our families. And you're going to leave here today and you're going to go home and you're going to act in a way that you would be ashamed of if people in the church knew you were living that way with your families, with how you treat your wives and your children and your grandchildren. For some of us, it's multiple different things. And we're willing to give God everything we are except for this, this, or this. Maybe, maybe the multiple things that we're not willing to give God is Sunday afternoons through you know, Saturday nights. And we're here only on Sunday morning to just fill a pew. Maybe that's for you what it is. But here Jesus says the greatest of all commands is to love God with all you are. 
to love God on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday the same amount that you love Him on Sunday morning. And so my question is, is if we truly believe that this is the greatest commandment, if we truly believe that this is what Jesus said, is it affecting how we live? Because if not, then we, do we truly believe it? Jesus gives a second answer to this. The, the guy just asked for one, but Jesus gives him double dose. He says this in verse 39. He says, the second is like it. It's love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And Jesus closes this little answer to this little question with a very profound statement. Everything that you find in the law and the prophets it boils down to these two things. These 615 commands that they counted up in the Old Testament law, in the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, they can be summed up in two ideas. Love God with all you are and love other people. Love your neighbors. You know, deep down inside, we are all selfish in a way, right? And, and for some of us, we, we have to dig. Some of us are, are very good at being selfless. But for a lot of us, we are selfish in some areas. I catch myself all the time being selfish. I, I, uh, I love uh, my, this is kind of a petty thing, but I love a good Coke, all right? a good fountain soda. I, I love uh, driving down the road and having something to sip on like a fountain drink. All right. And every time I come to the car uh, with my fountain drink, do you know who wants a sip of that same drink? All of my kids. Every single one of them. And I have a lot of kids, okay? So if every one of them takes a, a, a big drink, all right, because Hadessa has a way bigger drink than Hannah does, all right, uh, it's gone. And so every time I come in with my soda into my car, I get selfish. Daddy, can we have a drink? And deep down inside, I want to say, no. No, but I love my kids. So I give them my soda. I eventually ask for it back and say, no more. You know? But deep down inside, we're selfish with things. We, we like to do things for ourselves. And that's how we're made to an extent. You know, it, it's, it's not good if we are not looking after ourselves. Right? And so God tells us that the most important thing is to love Him, but also to love other people like we love ourselves. And Jesus will, will say that, give a little parable of a guy who is beaten and left on the side of the road, and his enemy comes and shows him love. He says, that is how you're supposed to love your neighbor. It doesn't matter if it's someone you really like or someone you really hate. It doesn't matter if that person wants to kill you or not. We are called to love them, no matter who they are. And if we can get these two things right, if we can get loving God with all of we, who we are, and if we can love other people, because ultimately loving other people is really a sign of how much we love God. All right, that's, that's really the thing. They're two intertwined things because other people are made in the image of God and so if we love God we should naturally be loving other people all right that's the thing that we have to connect here in this if we can get these two things right we will be living the lives that we are called to live as human beings as creations of God but sometimes we don't 
And it's all right to mess up from time to time. But sometimes we live lives not in this fashion at all. And that is a problem. You know, if we're not living lives totally dedicated towards God, it means that we probably have a sin that we just don't want God to know about. Or we're trying to hide from Him. But God knows all things, and someday that sin is going to be revealed to everyone. So why not just now give it up to God and allow Him to change and transform that aspect of who you are? Sometimes it's really hard to love people. I mean, people do nasty things to other people. And it's hard to love them, even in those moments. We're called to love them, despite what they do. We're not called to to determine if they're worthy of love. No, we're called to love them. And so my question for you today is this. Which of these two commands do you have trouble with? Maybe it's both of them. Maybe you can pick out in your mind exactly what you're not dedicating to God in your lives. I would encourage you to turn that around, to totally give God, allow Him to have a foothold, allow Him to have complete control of everything you are. Maybe for you it's not that, maybe you are totally dedicated, but sometimes it's hard to love people that have hurt us. And I would encourage you to do everything you can to show them love. These are the greatest commandments. Everything in the Bible is boiled down to these two ideas. Love God and love other people. Let us be Christians and people of God who are living that type of life. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are amazed by your sacrifice that you gave on Calvary. We're amazed by the words and your ability to navigate tough, difficult questions and to give answers that are profound. And Lord, we look at our lives this morning and look at whether or not we are loving you with all of who we are or not. And I just pray, God, that if we are not, that we can turn to you, that we can be totally committed, that we not just give contributions, but we are all in for all of who you are. Thank you, God, for being so amazing and for dying on Calvary for our sins. It's in your name we pray. Amen.